Welcome to the Strategic Tech Coaching Podcast. Our host, Oscar and Dermo, will together with guests share proven, tested strategies for improving your life and business. At the end of each episode, you will learn how you can use technology to implement those strategies into your daily life. We want to help you bridge the gap from inspiration to implementation. Welcome to another episode of the Strategic Tech Coaching Podcast. This episode is with Professor Unestol and we discuss coronavirus, we discuss fear and we discuss mental training to strengthen the immune system. Uh, if you don't know who Professor Unestol is, he's been on the show two times before, uh, so I recommend you to listen to those two episodes as well. Uh, episode 1, the first episode of this podcast, and also episode 15. Professor Unestol is the founder of Mental Training that was originally developed for improving performance for elite athletes or for athletes to function and feel better and get better results in sports based on his research that he did in the 60s and 70s. Uh, in the 80s and uh, up until now, the mental training has also been used in many other fields like health, business, education, for musicians and many other fields. So Professor Unestol has more than 50 years experience of working with personal development and he has done a lot of interesting experiments and he shares some of those experiments in this episodes, for example how he worked with cancer patients, how he worked with laughter to improve uh, your immune system, how he worked with HIV patients and many other things. So yeah, he has a lot of experience, he's the authority in this field, so it was an honor to interview him again for the Strategic Tech Coaching Podcast. First, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Buenavida.se. Buenavida distributes and sells books and training material for personal development. On their website, you can find material from many of the experts that has been on this show. For example, Joseph O'Connor, Igor, Fredrik Presto and Lars-Erik Unestol. Many of the books are in Swedish, but there is also a section with English books. If you want to support this podcast, use our link in the blog post to this episode and buy one of the books that will help you toward the good life. Professor Unestal, welcome to Strategic Tech Coaching Podcast. Pleasure to have you on the show again. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're in Sweden and Sweden is currently not on a lockdown in the same way as in Dubai. And uh, it's a big debate now back and forth. What are your thoughts on this? Is Sweden doing the right thing or is Europe doing the right thing? Sweden, uh, Sweden is doing the right thing, yes. And we start to show the positive effects of of that it it has even uh, sweden has a lot of uh, economical uh, um, consequences of uh, the restrictions but uh, it will not be as much as in the other countries who have much more of severe restrictions we mm. are uh, uh, we are uh, uh, making everyone uh, to be careful, to keep distance, but um, we can continue with the society uh, in much the same way as before. Of course, there are differences. And uh, uh, for instance, the high school um, are on distance. But uh, the grounds, basic schools, have gone on as usual. So um, there is a lot of debate in the world. Is Sweden doing the right things or not? Mm. And uh, I'm sure that we are doing the right things. Yeah, I, I wish I was in Sweden. I would have enjoyed a, a nice spring, spring weather, but I missed the last flight. So 
I'm in Dubai and here we are on complete lockdown. So yeah, uh, you <laughs> cannot even go out. And yeah, I, I'm just coming from a wonderful lunch at my favorite restaurant. Ah, I don't want to hear. <laughs> open as possible, open as usual. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but still, um, even in Sweden, the authorities are attacked by the media mm. who's saying um, shouldn't we be more careful shouldn't we do like other countries uh, and do the same restrictions mm. so they have to defend the Swedish model also mm. for the mass media yes. and uh, uh, the, I think not only in Sweden but all over the world that the the mass media is one reason why there are so many, um, so many deaths by corona and if you wonder how can mass media be be blamed for the number of deaths I should like to explain a little why it is so uh, we know that um, uh, there is one effect that is called placebo. Everyone knows about placebo, that uh, if you have positive expectations about something, that uh, things will happen. But there is also something called nocebo in the, the research. And nocebo is the opposite to placebo, that if you have uh, negative expectations, uh, that will also often be true. And uh, uh, mass media has been reported from the uh, corona in such a way that it has created a lot of negative expectation among people and it has increased the fear very much uh, among many people. They report about uh, uh, all the deaths there are in Sweden and other countries they don't report about um, people who, who get healthy, which is the majority. Uh, and uh, also like the British Medical Journal show the other day that uh, probably 70% of all who have been uh, affected by Corona don't know about it even. Yeah. So, uh, the it could be a more realistic descriptions to people about what corona is um, if you take the number of deaths it, it seems like um, uh, very few die from corona if you take just the corona it's probably not uh, more than other kind of infections influenza and so mm. uh, that almost everyone or two-thirds have um, other illnesses uh, except corona and uh, uh, so is the combination of corona and the other uh, diseases that are uh, blaming for the most of of, uh, of death mm. But still, even if we think about that number, yeah, let me also say that I got 
I got a letter from a friend who is very, who is a professor in 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 psychology, and he's also very much against the medical industry, the the drug industry. Yeah, and um, he wrote to me and said, "How do we know that it is the underlying?" illnesses that is the reason together with the corona maybe it's the medicine the drugs they take for these underlying um, uh, illnesses that is the reason and it's an interesting uh, question because we know that um, uh, 25 percent of all deaths in the united states has to do with side effects of drugs mm. Yeah, I heard it's the fourth biggest killer in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, after uh, cancer, heart attacks, and something else. Yeah. yeah. But then I got a letter from uh, another friend, Bruce Lip, uh, Lipton, who is um, a world authority in terms of epigenetics, where um, uh, he has shown that uh, mental factors and environment factors is a reason is one reason uh, that um, uh, or is affected the genes you know in epigenetics we talk about that uh, even if you have some um, uh, genetic for some illnesses or something else it doesn't mean that you have uh, will get it because it it has to do if the uh, if the gene is on or off and uh, depending on if the gene is active or inactive it has very much to do with mental factors expectations and it has to do with um, environment factors and he he wrote a book called uh, the biology of belief which is one of his books which is uh, uh, known of, of the world I have it wrote, somewhere. <laughs> wrote to me and his, he explained the corona effects uh, and he went through the, that was in the beginning of the corona and he, in the United States and he looked at all the deaths and uh, uh, could show this uh, connection with other things than corona but then he took up the fear and he finished the letter saying that the fear of corona could be, could be more deadly than the corona itself, mm. itself. And this opened up this with a nocebo effect. And I should like just to mention a little about that because uh, uh, it has been shown so much that... Uh, if you get information, negative information from someone you believe in, that information could be made true, even if the information is not true. If you get it from someone you believe it, uh, that will affect you. And there are many examples of, um, um, of people who have got some message from uh, 
uh, a doctor when they were young mm. and the effect of that could be through the whole life Vo and, voodoo as well no yeah and then you come into the uh, voodoo effect and which i have been looking into during the years uh, when um, when um, there's so much to say about that but let me say that uh, when i started to look into voodoo i did it in in brazil first because uh, brazil was my favorite country because all the alternative states of consciousness that are existing in in brazil uh, but voodoo is uh, difficult to um, to get in contact with they are very protective mm. things so but then i got um, a professorship in uh, in Australia. I was guest professor there for one year uh, in the um, 80s. And then I got the opportunity to look into the aboriginal systems of uh, pointing with the bone. And this system has to do with the, the medicine man in the tribe who have the ability to affect uh, people in the in the uh, tribe and uh, if someone has been uh, fault uh, made some faults or uh, sin he can take a special bone and then he directs that to the person and then he can say next Thursday you will be dead or within 14 days you will be dead and sometimes it happens the, the person is healthy has no sickness but he believes in the message from the medicine man and it affects him in two ways. Some people got so depressed that they stop eating and uh, they, they don't do anything and then they die. Um, the other, and this is more uh, parasympathicus death, um, uh, similar to people who lose the um, uh, life motivation, for instance, an English study of six thousand uh, widows showed that the uh, death rate increased with forty percent within six months from the husband's death. So, mm. when you lose a little of life motivation, then the, the mortality goes up. Mm. Uh, this is one part, but there is another part who fight against it they don't want this to happen so they fight and fight against it but still the message can be so important that they uh, that they die and if you make autopsy of these persons you can see that it is not the parasympathicus it's the sympathicus death it's the fear it's the the increased uh, um, uh, fear who uh, in the end make the person to, to die mm. so uh, but in bo both cases is the belief from the uh, medicine man that this will happen so if we know that the person can die from fear or from expect negative expectation without being healthy, without being uh, uh, sick, in spite of being healthy, 
then of course it should be very odd if a person who have this uh, fear shouldn't die when they get corona so that's what is behind his statement that the fear of corona could could be more deadly than the corona itself so what i am doing here in sweden is that i make programs and also training programs to uh, to handle the fear to create the calmness you can be cautious this is good mm. keep the distance of one meter Wash your hands, yeah. but don't don't be afraid that many people are, because mm. that will interfere with the um, uh, health in different ways. Yeah. Um, and um, I have seen so many examples of this. Um, you, I I know that you were interested of the um, study I made in cancer. Yes. The background to that was that uh, I was uh, in uh, Japan in the end of the 70s uh, on a congress of um, about uh, psychosomatic medicine. At that time, the psychosomatic medicine was very new in the world. Uh, so it was one of the first uh, international congresses. At that congress, they showed the study people who got cancer and then they looked at the rate of the illness before the day that they got the diagnosis and after and it showed up that uh, the rate increased from the day of uh, getting the diagnosis getting the message that you had cancer the illness went uh, steeper and that was very odd uh, because uh, when you got the diagnosis you get treatment so the natural thing should be that the illnesses even if it doesn't go back even if you don't get healthy it should go more slowly with treatment than before treatment so the only explanation that i could get from from that was that uh, a diagnosis in itself is only a message of what you have now but most people use to connect the diagnosis with the prognosis what will happen now and at that time there was uh, a belief that uh, cancer uh, often led to death and that belief seemed to go into the system and increase the speed of the illness so i i started to uh, go out with the yes when i came back then to sweden i decided to make two investigations uh, to see what happened if you are healthy uh, and you get no what happens if you are uh, having terminal illness a severe illness and uh, you get the expectation of getting healthy 
And what happens if you are healthy and get the expectation of dying? And uh, in the first place, uh, to see that I took, uh, we made a study at Uppsala University, which I was um, uh, heading. And the study was that we took 300 cancer patients from a hospital. Uh, we divided them into two parts. And the three most uh, uh, prominent doctors made the matching. So it should be the same criteria in, in the control group and in the experimental group. Both groups got the same medical treatment, no difference there. The only difference was that the experimental group got the mental training um, uh, program where they was programmed another image of the future, a healthy image of the future. Um, to make it short, we could see um, we had to stop the, the um, uh, after some months uh, because the ethical committee said in the hospital said that you cannot prevent the control group to get the same treatment. Mm. So we had to um, also get them the same possibilities. But what we could see during the control period was that it was uh, um, only half of the mortality rate in the experimental group compared with the control group. So just to change the image of the future could take down the mortality to half. Uh, the other, the other group, the other thing to see what 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 uh, happens if you are healthy and get the image of dying, I mentioned before about the Vodo effect. And, and so. so here you had the two different things. What happens if you are healthy and get the fear of dying? And what happens if you are uh, severe ill and you get the uh, expectation of healthy? So uh, that's why it's so important to work to get rid of the unnecessary deaths coming by unnecessary fear. So what I've done now in Sweden is to make a special Corona program um, where the training is to take down the negative expectation to take down the fear of Corona. Yeah, And the doctors are not supposed to give uh prognosis only a diagnosis and i think in sweden yeah. they changed this no uh, that's uh, good that you say because when uh, when i started with this in the um, uh, 70s then it was rather common in sweden that uh, uh, there was a mixed up in medicine between um, being honest to a patient and to speak about the future so Many doctors, they could say to a patient who had a severe illness, I think that you have a 
only six months left to live. And if, as we know that such a message from someone you believe in can kill a person uh, being healthy, then it should be odd if the person didn't die, if we also have, uh, for instance, cancer or a severe illness. Mm. So uh, I was uh, teaching at the medical uh, in Karolinska in Stockholm at the, um, for, uh, for um, people who are going to be medical doctors. And during that year I was teaching there, uh, I was telling everyone, you should never tell a patient about the future in such a way, in such negative way, because then there will be a, a nocebo effect. Mm. And I am glad to say that, uh, because I've been preaching that now in 30 years, 40 years now, and I'm glad to say that in Sweden, there are very few doctors who say what was common in, in the, in the 70s and 80s in Sweden, mm. that um, to, to, to make such negative uh, statements about the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you have a friend called Eric Beck, right? Who was the uh, head of the hospital in Örebro. Yes. Uh, and uh, you mentioned that you did a lot of uh, studies together with him on the mental aspect and illness. What are some of the experiments that you did together with him when it relates to the mind, body and health? Yes, interesting that you say, because uh, I have started um, a local TV station again. I had that uh, 40 years ago, but now again, uh, because of the Corona. So we are making programs um, locally and uh, in Stockholm about the corona and the first program we made some days ago was with Eric Beck because he was also the the doctor for the what to say in English Mittskyddsläkarna yeah i was trying to google it i think it's the immunologist but i'm not sure because there was no translation uh, yeah. On Google Translate or uh, Lexi, uh, the doctors who are uh, specialists in the infections and yeah, corona, yeah, yeah. and he was uh, uh, the one in Örebro for that. Uh, besides uh, being the um, the head of the hospital in itself, but anyway, um, we made such a program uh, the other day when he also was talking about the importance of taking down the fear and uh, uh, to, to be careful, cautious, but not afraid. And it's important to separate this. You, you don't have to be afraid and have a high fear to be cautious. This is common sense to keep distance and to, to not... Uh, interfere with the regulations from the authorities about the restrictions that they are. Mm. Uh, you can move around if you keep distance. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, when you mention him um, and uh, the experiments we made, uh, he he was also the 
the doctor in Sweden who started with the heave patients when it came. And, so, uh, yeah. and um, so we made the first mental training program for HEAV. And uh, you could see there also the same thing as I talked about before, that uh, from the beginning, people uh, who got HEAV was regarded to be dying. Mm. And people died very much then when uh, uh, treatment went further. Uh, but also, even before that, when some people showed that you didn't have to die, so that when the common opinion or the common expectation changed that heave is not the same as dying, uh, then the mortality decreased. So mm. just the general knowledge that it doesn't have to lead to death changed also the thing. Now I wanted to ask, uh, you did uh, something, uh, something, some other experiments with what you call laughter rooms in hospitals. That rooms that were filled with funny things so the patients could go there and laugh. Can you share a little bit about that experience and uh, laughter, the importance of laughter for your health? Yes, uh, when I bought, when I wrote the book, um, Laugh Yourself to Better Health, it was because uh, some years bef uh, earlier, I had met Norman Cousins at the conference. And Norman Cousins uh, was, uh, uh, he was an editor for Saturday Review. And in, in a, a journey in the Soviet Union, he got very ill. He went back to the United States and he got his death uh, sentence, that it was nothing that could be done for this uh, neurological illness. So then he decided to, if he had a limited uh, life, uh, 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 in time, he decided to use that time for for humor, to use humor from morning to evening. And then he d detected that if he could laugh for 10 minutes, then his pain went away for two hours. Mm. So he got reinforced and then he continued to increase the, the um, humor part of his life until he was completely healthy. And then he wrote this book, uh, this, the, illne the um, anomaly of an illness. No? illness yes. yeah. And what happened was that suddenly uh, also science realized what humor, laughing, uh, good mood could make uh, for health. So he got, an, uh, he got a professorship at UCLA medical school where he was teaching the medical students about uh, the uh, uh, benefits of humor in health for many years in spite he was not a medical doctor. Uh, Fry in San Francisco started to investigate what happens in your body when you are laughing, when you are smiling and suddenly it became a whole uh, scientific area the the benefits health benefits from from humor uh, and when i 
come back to, when I came back to Sweden, then uh, I made a course called Humor and Health, uh, which was um, going for fi on five different Swedish universities for some years. And then we made some practical experiments with Humor Room. Uh, in the Motala Hospital, we had this Humor Room, as you mentioned, um, where people with illnesses could come and get uh, humor treatment. <laughs> and we took, uh, for instance, in one study, we took um, a number of women with chronic pain who had not been helped with the me medical treatment. As you know, in, in chronic pain, there are very little to do with medical uh, systems. Uh, very little effect of medical treatment. So instead, they were going to this uh, room for 11 weeks and they had home lessons to look at humor home and so. And after 11 weeks, the pain has decreased um, uh, significant and the um, life quality has increased significant. So we had hoped that uh, it should be humor room in every hospital in Sweden. However, it didn't work out. Mm. But what happened was uh, that it's still working is that we have um, uh, uh, humor, um, uh, what to say, um, uh, people who who are specially designed to work with children clowns in, uh, yeah humor clowns yeah. who work with children with severe illnesses in different hospitals so we have in sweden about 35 humor clowns ah. who are still working with that so some effects was is still going on okay nice so uh, for those of you are listening around the world uh, try to encourage your hospitals to start a, a, a humor room where patients can go and laugh because laughter is very good medicine, basically. Yeah, what we have done instead of humor room is to, uh, by information, uh, make people interested to combine, uh, to combine uh, uh, life with humor in mm. order to to preserve the health and in order to affect um, health if, if it goes down. Mm. Uh, that has been uh, important for another reason also. Uh, let me say that uh, when I found in, in um, I worked with the Russian sci scientific team for 10 years from 1990 to 2000. And uh, uh, we translated my program to Russian uh, also, the, the Olympic Committee translated the sport programs, but in the research, it was mainly working with uh, with health and uh, schools, uh, also sport, but uh, mostly health area. And we also looked into the what happens in the brain uh, when you are in the in the mental room, for instance. What changes happens in uh, when we measure with EEG? What, uh, that can explain why information has so much more impact 
when inform when information is given in the in the mental room than if you give the information uh, without in the, our normal dominant consciousness. Uh, um, anyway, um, the what we looked into then in terms of um, uh, immune defense was to see how could uh, mental training increase uh, affect the immune defense and we found that already after six weeks of uh, mental training every day we got an increase of the immune defense um, measured with T4, uh, T8 cells. Uh, so when when the, the uh, and it was mainly the humor part, the um, life quality part of the mental training, who had this effect on the immune defense, uh-huh. and that uh, was something that. Uh, uh, could be related to what we knew before about the immune defense. We knew that when you get depressed, when you get stressed, then immune goes down. Mm. Uh, But we didn't know at that time that uh, we could increase it over normal by by changing the mood Mm. with mental training. So after that, I was thinking, how can we, how can we get this out? Because what happens when you get cancer or uh, severe illness? The normal reaction is that you get stressed and you get depressed. And what happens then? The immune defense goes down. Mm-hmm. When you should need a strong immune immunity, it goes down. So the question was not only how can we keep the immune defense without having the lowering by the depression, Mm. how can we even increase it by using humor? Mm. Uh, And then it was a question, how can we, because you cannot go out and say, if you get cancer, start to laugh. It sounds a little cynical, but then I got an invitation to an international congress, the first world congress about terminal illness, which is a, which is a terrible statement in relation to nocebo effects. Yeah. Terminal illness, an illness that leads to the end. Yeah. Anyway, it, it was called terminal illness. And then they asked me to come there and speak about humor for terminal illness. And I hadn't dared to propose that subject myself, but I got the invitation to, to do that. And when I came there, it was 1200 people from the whole world. Uh, it was rather easy to sell in this concept. Uh, but the question was, how can we get it out without being cynical? So after that Congress, uh, I worked out a program that um, trying to explain that if you get 
cancer, you can help the immune defense by uh, raising your mood. And uh, you can do that in such a way that you put the thoughts about cancer in the back of your head. Don't think about that. Leave that over to the medical treatment. Mm. What you can do is to help the medical treatment by focus on things that makes you coming into a good mood. Mm. So what, they, what I ask them to do is to make lists. What makes you in a good mood? Uh, thoughts about family, thoughts about forest, thoughts about uh, your dog, whatever. Make a list of everything that makes you in a good mood. And then you focus on that in the days instead of focus on the cancer. Mm. So that uh, combination has been very good to leave the things that affect you negative and you can't do anything about yourself. Leave that uh, to the other, to surrounding and put mm. it in your back of your head and focus on things that you can do in order to help yourself and the body yeah and that cancer program i believe is uh, you can download for free on your website no slh or unistall education uh, i'll put the link uh, below on the blog post for this because that program you have for free in swedish correct yes yes yeah. it has always been free yeah uh, i have another question uh, I've been watching you talk many times and you have talked about this study about the immune system and it was a study between Sweden and Poland and in Sweden they sterilized all the hospitals uh, and the allergies increased with 400% and in Poland there was somewhere in Poland where they didn't and yeah can you talk a little bit about this mental toughness or toughness training for immune system well, this is another area, but um, what you're talking about is that uh, this was another conference um, many years ago down in, in Europe about also psychosomatic medicine. And uh, you talk about two studies, one from Sweden, who, uh, where they said uh, 25 years ago that... Uh, how can we get down the level of the number of allergic people? Uh, and the normal answer, the common answer at that time was to, to, to decrease the um, expo ex exposure for the allergic uh, things, mm. uh, allergic factors. So we made uh, the environment very clean. I remember when uh, the rags in the uh, university went out in the summer because they shouldn't have rags. It uh, uh, put yeah. uh, a lot of uh, negative things into the rags uh, and so on. So we made the environment cleaner and cleaner. And what the study showed that was that during that 20 years since it started, the allergy had, had went up with 400%. Mm. 
And then it was another study from Poland, from uh, Katowice, which is the most dirty area in Europe with the, all the colds. And there the allergy has, had not increased. And that was puzzled for many. How, how can, uh, how can the, the allergy de increase in spite of making the environment clean? And how can it be that it doesn't uh, increase when you have a dirty environment? And it took one year since, um, and then came Sachan, an iris researcher, came with a solution which he called the, is called the hygiene hypothesis, the Sachan hypothesis or the hygiene hypothesis, saying that it's the opposite. If you don't have an exposure for uh, allergic things, then you will be more susceptible for it. But if you have an exposure, it would be like a vaccination so that you prevent to, to be allergic. And it has taken time to get this through because uh, it's opposite from what most people think. Uh, no, we have to protect us for this and this and this when you are ch children instead of, of uh, the opposite. We know that children from uh, the countryside are less allergic than people from cities. They are exposed to a lot of things that we are not in the cities, for instance. Yeah. So there are many, many evidence for these uh, things today, but it's so opposite from what most people think. Yeah, so you need to get exposed. And remember you were saying when Angela was born that you, you were told her to yes. share that story. Uh, I said uh, that when uh, she was born uh, 15 years ago, uh, that uh, um, now we will expose her for a lot of poison and my <laughs> my wife is a, is an ecologist and she is a vegetarian so she got very scared of that but then she understood so um, when angela was uh, six hours after the birth she was already in our office taking part and uh, during uh, when she was three days we went abroad with her the first time, and during the first time we was in over 25 countries. And she was exposed for a lot of things. Uh, uh, and um, when she was four years, there is a control in Sweden for everyone four years. And when uh, Elena told that, uh, oh, she has never been sick. She has not even have a fever they thought it was very odd and up to uh, 12 years she had never been any uh, when first 12 years she was sick one day mm. uh, so you cannot say anything from one example but this is so in re in relation with the hygiene hypothesis that uh, yeah it's interesting yeah i'm thinking about it now in dubai because now we're not allowed to go out for two weeks and they're actually spraying the whole city with disinfection uh so i wonder you know with our immune system will we need some exposure to bacteria and virus you know to 
to build a strong uh, immune system. Uh, yes, and uh, when they um, when they said in the British Medical Journal the other day that uh, probably uh, I think it was 69-70% of all people who get uh, um, uh, corona don't notice it. Don't. Mm. Uh, then uh, it could be that uh, can have something to do with that that uh, you get something of it but you get so little that it is a kind of vaccination mm. that produce uh, uh, so that it doesn't uh, break out mm. yeah. and uh, there are some people who say the best thing should be that everyone gets a little of corona so that they get vaccinated yeah. and that's in mean, uh, people all over uh, researchers all over the world is working to get a vaccine mm. and vaccine is is the same idea that you put a little of that into the body in order to produce uh, antibodies uh, yeah yeah antibodies yeah yeah uh, we, I got some questions from uh, some listeners, and first one is from Anna Karin. And uh, one additional thing, which yeah. is uh, about this, uh, what this led to was the whole area of mental toughness training, which is built on the same principle that uh, uh, using using a problem in order to be strong. Uh, and and uh, uh, don't be afraid of uh, uh, problems because uh, people without problems never get strong mentally mm. so that has had the same um, idea from uh, when we were talking about the the immune defense yeah, no, that's something that has helped me a lot in life to reframe challenges and crises into, you know, like fun uh, projects to overcome, you know, and just I know that once I overcome it, I come out stronger, you know, the mental toughness part of mental training is something that I'm really passionate about. Uh, no, so Anna Karin had a question about um, in one of the parts of mental training in the uh, SAGE model, you know, the self-image, attitudes, goals, and emotions, it's goals, that with the goal images. And she's asking, how should you think about goal images now during these corona times? Because there's so many external factors that you can't, for example, if you were training to for the Olympics in Tokyo and suddenly corona canceled the whole thing. So in mental training, you learn to visualize your goals and plant your goals in your subconscious mind. But how should you think about this now with the coronavirus affecting everything? Uh, one important thing in the motivational area or in the goal image area is the acceptance of the present. Um, and the acceptance um, has become more and more important to emphasize acceptance of the uh, presence and commitment to the future and uh, uh, you know act uh, which is the acceptance and commitment therapy which is popular now all over the world 
uh, in mental training i talk about act uh, as acceptance and commitment training uh, which is um, uh, as you know mental training uh, use uh, the the present and the future is the two main part the past which was the um, uh, in in the old therapy where you put the connection between the past and the present and try to explain the present related to the past uh, which took long time and uh, uh, which was not scientific at all uh, we used the past in, in mental training but in another way we use the good things the resources the good feelings that we have had that we want more of we see the pre uh, past as a gold mine the unconscious mind as a uh, things it has a lot of pressures lot of um, good things that we can pick up so we try to pick up the good things that we can use in the in the um, traveling from the present to the goals uh, that's one thing but then when you look it and into the uh, uh, acceptance uh, you first of course accept that it has been moved now the olympics one year in, in advance and instead of uh, looking at all the bad things with that uh, you start to look um, can it be some benefits even of having one year more to prepare to having one year more to uh, make goal programming um, if you look at training as something um, bad you do it because of, of competition but you should uh, you should like to go direct to the competition instead of having all these training sessions then you can you will not have the same benefit from training as if you like the training if you love it if you should go to the training even if you didn't have a competition then you get out much more from the training so if you take away this um, relation between training and competition that training is just in order to make a good thing at the competition and you can see the training for its own sake it makes me more healthy it makes me uh, feel better both during the training and after the training then you will see the difference on the uh, that you have to wait one year more for the competition mm -hmm. it, will not uh, only be a negative thing it will be even be a positive thing yeah. so that's some of the things that could be done uh, in order to not being influenced in a negative way of such things that happens instead of using everything that happens as an advantage mm. so it's uh, accepting the present and uh, enjoying the journey regardless of uh, what is happening yeah. in the external yeah. world 
and that relates yeah. to business and work as well like if you love what you're doing and you know it doesn't matter you just keep doing it every day anyway you know yes and the, what you're saying here what we often are talking about that the journey is more important than the goal um, is especially important when we uh, work with vision because vision is the is not a goal it's uh, showing the direction and uh, there you will appreciate more and more the goal more and more the way to the uh, to the part goals because you can break down vision into different uh, goals on the way but if you have just a goal uh, and you are uh, remember you are not appreciating so much the way then it also means that you when you reach the goal then you often have a, what i call the wedding depression effect that the uh, uh, you will get a negative effect afterwards you have difficulty to start with the next goal the um, motivation goes down for every project so if you just work with project goals without connection with the um, uh, with the vision then you will have uh, not only good effects when you reach a goal it will also be a negative effect to continue to the next goal and next goal and next goal mm. so appreciate the way which is the most important and then having the goals related to the vision to mm. prevent the wedding depression effect that's important mm. okay so we started off by talking about the fear of corona that the fear of corona probably maybe even kills more than the corona itself so uh, this is an, also another question from one of the listeners uh, any mental training exercise that he feels is powerful to use against fear there are uh, two um, kinds of programs for fear one is the programs who um, uh, diminish the fear for certain situations um, like the programs we have for uh, phobias speaking in public uh, or being a afraid for flying or whatever it is when fear is related to certain situations then we have programs for that mm. the other is the more general to work with a good um, mood all the time a mood which is a uh, calmness which is a uh, uh, feeling of uh, well-being and where worry and uh, fear has to be go away uh, because some uh, often uh, in terms of worry especially and anxiety it's not always uh, this is related to special situation it can be a more general mood so the programs in mental training uh, is different in this area where you change the mood basic mood to a more optimistic and positive mood and and uh, take down the 
the fear and worry, which is more general. So there are two kinds of program, situation related fear and more general fear and worriness. Mm. If you would put together a little like a kit for a beginner, that's someone that hasn't done mental training with like some daily training reflections and uh, to, to deal with this situation, what kind of, what kind of things would you recommend? Um, excess, uh, I got distressed here by something. Uh, <laughs> repeat the question, please. Yeah. If you would put together like a training kit for a beginner that hasn't done any mental training, uh, like some things that they should do, like daily exercises, reflection, uh, trainings in everyday life to, to deal with the corona situation, you know, the fear of the corona situation. What are some things you would recommend people to do? Uh, except uh, using uh, just a program for uh, like I made for Corona, I must say that in general there are, are two things. One thing is to spread the introduction to mental training to everyone, and as you know, I have the I have the goal of. Uh, reaching everyone in the world before 2037 and to reach half of the world population before 2021. And in order to reach uh, uh, half of the population in the world, I have to translate the introduction to mental training to um, uh, seven, the most seven uh, common languages. And uh, I'm glad to say that I reached that the other day. I have had it in six languages, uh, uh, Russian and, and Chinese and English and uh, uh, Spanish, Portuguese. But the other day came Arabic. Ah, Osama, good job. Ah, yeah. So we're just uh, uh, putting that together now, uh, an uh, introductory kit in Arabic. Uh, so and this is spread um, uh, free because I want every every person in the world to afford to use mental training in such way to get the first introduction mm. because it's so important uh, and uh, for uh, many poor people they couldn't afford to pay for such a thing so. The first, this is um, uh, spread free. Mm -hmm. What but, on the application what, or on how do you, if you want to listen to it for free, how do you do it? It is different uh, in in um, Iraq, for instance, where uh, we have tried to reach everyone in North Iraq in the Kurdistan. That has been. Uh, as an introduction from the government in, in Kurdistan, especially from the health minister, who invited us, uh, invited me five years ago, together with a, a person from Kurdistan who is in Sweden and is mental trainer, and he has translated my program and uh, books to uh, Kurdish. So there, we have used internet to reach everyone, first with the introduction, then 
two years ago um, because of the ISIS. Um, you know, the Kurdish was very attacked by the IS. Yes, uh, we made a, I made a program for um, for fear and worry. Um, and this year we are uh, going out into the school system, uh, reaching everyone in the schools. Uh, this is a good example, but here you need help from the authorities in the country. And that uh, is not possible in most countries in the world. So um, I'm hoping in every country to get someone, doesn't need to be some minister, someone who could be responsible for distributing the introduction to mental training to uh, as many as possible which is possible today uh, by internet. It's just mm. to get the information out. And if it's free, why, why shouldn't people start to use it? Then we hope that the interest will be also to, to go along a course to become uh, like a mental trainer. And there we have the UMT, Uniston Mental Training. Mm. And this is not free. It's a long course where you pay, don't pay much, but uh, where you make exams and you get the diploma as a mental trainer after. So there are two steps. The first yeah. step is to reach everyone with introduction, free, and second to, uh, to hope that many of them will continue to with a longer course, yeah. which is free. Yeah. No, and uh, to you listeners out there, I'm personally done the, the course and uh, done mental training for more than 10 years now. And it's the best thing that I've done. And it changed, it had a big impact in my life. I really want to help and support Unistol with spreading the, this around the world. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, my personal experience with this. And I appreciate the work that you've done with the mental training and uh, throughout the years. Uh, anything else you want to leave the listeners with? Um, no, I think it was a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. To start with. so thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, a lot of things that we discussed about uh, uh, mental training and the mind-body connection for health and Corona and let go of the fear. And so I appreciate taking the time. I know you have a coaching course that you're doing at, at your, your school. So I'll let you go back and continue the coaching course. Uh, okay thank you <laughs> and thank you for what you're doing wow a lot of interesting things that uh, professor unestol was sharing in this episode from how his, he worked with cancer patients to hiv patients to the nocebo effect and yeah how you need to think about positive outcomes instead of the fear of covid or the fear of getting sick if you got interested in, in any of the topics that Professor Uno Stoll was talking about uh, and you want to learn more about mental training, you can go to bernavida.se to buy one of his books. I recommend you start with the book Integrated Mental Training. If you're interested in how laughter can improve your health, you can also find his book about this on the website. And these are both in Swedish and English. If you found this episode interesting, go to iTunes and write a review and then share the episode with a friend or two or maybe even on your social media. If you want to learn more about strategic tech coaching, you can go to strategictechcoaching.com or on our YouTube channel. You have also lots of like shorter tips and tricks on how to use strategies, technology and coaching for a HSP life. Happy, successful, productive life. 
Thank you for listening to the Strategic Tech Coaching Podcast with your host, Oscar Endermo. We'll catch you next time.